Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. back. I see a lot of faces that I have not seen in a while, and it is good to see those faces. Uh, For those of you guys who are new, my name is Nick Swearingen. I am one of the directors here at the Block KC. I'm a pastor here at Lenox Baptist Church, and it's my privilege to work with young adults here in Kansas City. And we are thrilled that you've chosen to invest your Thursday night with us tonight. Uh, We believe that it's going to be good, not just because you get to meet a couple new people, Not just because you've got something to fill your Thursday night, but we believe that God wants to directly bless you through the people in this room and through the message of this book. And we are excited to see what God does. Uh, So I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys tonight, not my thoughts or my observations, but God's word. And so if you've got a copy of God's word, open to Colossians or get there on your phones if that's what you've got. Uh, If you are new to the Bible, Colossians is in the second part of the Bible called the New Testament. So you're going to find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a couple more books. And then Colossians is settled right between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. Go ahead and get your way there. And over the next few weeks, we are going to be learning about what God has to say in the book of Colossians about life to the fullest, about finding true freedom, about living the transformed life, about placing our hope in the right source, and ultimately how do all of these things tie to Jesus Christ himself. And as we get started tonight, speaking of freedom and living life to the full, something continued to resonate through my mind, a special memory as I was thinking about freedom, as I was thinking about fullness of life. And that's when I got my first car when I turned 16. Man, I would, anyone resonate, just remember like, man, when I turned 16, maybe the driving age was 17 for you, I'm not sure if that changed since then, uh, but you just remember turning 16, turning 17, getting that car and being like, man, I am free. See, to me, getting a car and having that driver's license, it represented everything I wanted. I didn't have to have my mom drop me off at school anymore. That was like the number one thing. Sorry, mom, if you listen to this. Uh, I could go hang out with my friends. I didn't have to stay at home and just play on Xbox Live with them. We could actually go hang out at Sonic. I could go hang out with girls. It was basically everything I wanted. And for my 16th birthday, my parents got me my dad's old 2001 black Toyota 4Runner. And I love that car. They put a subwoofer in there. They put a new sound system in there. It had a back window that rolled down, which is just fascinating because cars don't have that these days. And I loved this car. And then six weeks later, six weeks after my 16th birthday, my sister says, hey, Nick, why don't you come hang out on my sorority's sibling weekend in Manhattan, Kansas? And so I'm like, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to impress all these 18-year-old girls in my 16-year-old car. This is going to be awesome. And I start cruising down I-70. I mean, I'm flying. I'm bumping to Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, uh, doing a clean 90 miles an hour, which is 20 miles over the speed limit at that time. And I'm not paying attention to anything. And suddenly, I see the red and blue flashing lights come from the side of the road. I mean, this is my first time being pulled over. I've been 16 for all of six weeks. And so in my panic, I make the terrible mistake to pull over on the left side of the road. 
so that the, the fast lane is just rushing by me and this police officer. And this police officer, he gets out of his car and he's mad. He's like, I'm, he's, I'm endangering his life. And he steps up to the car window and I roll it down. He says, son, are you some kind of stupid? And just started ripping into me. I mean, he gave it to me. I was just getting taken to task by this guy. And suddenly, what had started out of this great moment of freedom and this great adventure and this life to the full, it suddenly it didn't feel very full anymore, right? Because suddenly a lot of things were emptying. My bank account was emptied by the $400 ticket. That was emptied quite a bit. My confidence was all the way down to zero. My, my enjoyment of that weekend was, was all the way emptied. I had to tell my sister to call my parents because I couldn't face it myself. Now, the worst part about all of this was that I was to blame. Like, I was the one being reckless. It was my fault. I couldn't even argue my way with this police officer. I was like, I was doing 90. That I, it's just, it's true. And so the reason I started here tonight is because all of us are putting our hope in something. Right? So a lot of times we're th thinking, what is the thing that's going to bring me that fullness of life? What is that thing that's going to make me happy? What's that thing that's going to satisfy and a lot of times as young adults, we put our hope of the good life, our expectation of life to the full in the wrong thing. And when we do that, we end up living a life that is far from free. See if you can relate to this. You may have thought at one point of your life that a fully pleasing life is found with your reputation of your friends or coworkers. But then when in reality, you end up trapped by the opinions of other people. Maybe you relate to this. You think that the good life is found in comfort or, or just alone time, zoning out. If I could just get more time by myself, more time resting. But then you end up tethered to the technology in your pocket. Maybe you even come to places like church and you're like, man, I'm going to find the good life in morality or in spirituality. But what you've only ever found is being trapped in human philosophy versus the freedom of God's word. And I don't know what your thing is, but I'm highly confident that if each of us are honest with ourselves and we're honest with the people around us, this is a place of honesty, safe place, we have all experienced the lack of true life in our lives. We've all experienced this feeling of being trapped, this feeling of having to take our hope from one thing to another to another, only to find that I have to get right back on the carousel and rotate it from thing to thing. And see, I don't know how you came in the room tonight. I don't know how you grew up. Maybe you're here and you've been to church your entire life. That's how I grew up personally. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, a friend invited me. I don't really know much about church. I haven't really invested in my faith. My guess is that we're not all that different. And see, for me, I grew up knowing about the Bible. I grew up knowing about church. I grew up knowing about Jesus. I had a great family, a great church. My issue was that I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I just wanted what I wanted. And so when I moved out, when I went to Kansas State, when I turned 18, I started to live in a way that I thought would bring me life. And so I did whatever I thought I wanted to do. And I spent money left and right. I spent money like it was going out of style. I bought more food, I bought cool clothes, I bought alcohol for me, my friends, girls, just whoever wanted anything. I was like, I'm gonna buy it for them. I was experimenting with the whole party scene. I was texting all these different girls and I was living it up. And after two months, I had spent all of my life savings, $6,000. I had blown through everything, burned all my connections. And I realized that my life was emptier than it ever had been before. 
And I started to look at my life, and I realized, man, my life savings is empty. Man, my heart is broken. I'm living in addiction, and I feel emptier than I ever had. And it was at that moment that I realized God had something better for me. Because God stepped into my life at that moment, and he said, Nick, I have real freedom for you. Nick, I have real fullness of life for you. I have real hope for you. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight. I learned that that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And tonight we are going to learn from God's word just what that looks like from the book of Colossians. And if you're not familiar with the book of Colossians, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul in 62 AD to the church in Colossae. That's this ancient Greek city that's in current day Turkey. And Colossae sat in this beautiful mountain valley. It was a suburb, essentially, of this larger city, Laodicea, about 14 miles apart from each other. That's the distance from about this spot to the plaza, for reference for you guys. And Laodicea and the surrounding areas were very, very wealthy. I mean, there's a hot spring city that was also nearby, so a bunch of people would go there for, for relaxation, for this little resort. It brought in a ton of wealth, and it was so wealthy that Two, letters, or two years before this letter was written, an earthquake actually destroyed most of this city. And they were able to rebuild it without any help from the Roman government. They just pulled out their checking books and they said, all right, checkbooks. No one's got checkbooks anymore. They pulled out their credit cards and they started swiping and they were able to pay for the entire thing. I realized they didn't have credit cards then either. I get that. And the church in Colossae, they had first heard about Jesus from a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras was one of Paul's close friends. They were imprisoned together actually in Rome. And they kept hearing these reports from Colossae that all these issues were popping up. See, the Colossians were being taught by false teachers to go and look for hope in something that wasn't Jesus. They were being taught spirituality and religion, but without the word of God. There was this societal pull towards sexual brokenness, towards anger, towards division, towards backstabbing your friends to get ahead in society. And Paul hears about all this from his prison cell in Rome, and God prompts his heart to write a letter to encourage them to focus their hope on Jesus Christ, to not look at the world, but to keep their eyes fixed on heaven. And my hope is that as we read this book, we would examine ourselves to see where is our hope? What is a truly, fully pleasing life? And where is that life found? So with that, let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, God, knowing that we need your word. God, I thank you for your great love for us. God, I thank you that you've brought every single person in this room tonight, God. Truly, no one is here by accident. And so, God, I pray that your word would speak to each of our hearts, God, in the way that it needs to. God, would we be attentive, God, to look to the hope of your word, God? Would you show us through your spirit what we need to learn? And God, would we truly find the life that's promised through your son, Jesus? We pray all this in his name. Amen. All right, so Paul introduces his letter in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Just a common uh, greeting and welcome. And then he starts the letter in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Paul is thanking God from prison for the Colossian Christians. 
And Paul's reason for gratitude, he says, they thank God because of the hope that they have in heaven. And Paul has heard about their faith in Christ, and he's seen and heard about their love for the Christians there. And so when he stops to pray for them, there's this overwhelming sense of gratitude that just wells up inside of him as he's thinking about these people. He says, man, they've got a hope in heaven. And now, we don't really use this idea of hope as a noun very often, right? We might hope for something. We use it as a verb a lot. I hope for nice weather. I hope for achieved Super Bowl victory, you know? Come on, let's go. But a lot of times I don't say I have hope in something. And so to make this clear for us tonight, to give us a definition, hope defined is an eager expectation of good that's based in something. For example, if your hope is in a job, then you have this eager expectation of good, happiness, joy, whatever you want to call it, based in our salary or in our promotions or our performance at our jobs. If our hope is in a relationship, it's the expectation that I'll be happy based on someone's love and acceptance for me. If our hope is in comfort, it's that good will come to me if I've got that extra time, if I've got that margin in my schedule, if I get enough time to watch Netflix, sports, whatever it is. And we might call it a goal, we might call it a dream, we might call it a healthy habit. I don't know what we call it. But we all do this in our lives. We find these things that we can put our hope in and that we wait for them to bring us that fullness of life, to bring us that joy, to bring us what we need. And Paul is saying the Colossians, their hope is laid up, which is a terminology that talks about treasure or inheritance. Riches that are set aside for you. You can think of a retirement account. You can think of just stacks of cash that a wealthy uncle is going to leave you or some gold that your grandpa's got lying around that he's going to give to you. That's this idea that there is treasure that is awaiting you. And Paul is saying the Colossians have a hope or a treasure that's set aside for them in heaven. Now, in my years working with young adults, I love getting to hear what people put their hope and treasure in. Why? Because people are excited about these things. People get excited about what they put their hope in. And so for this message, I was doing some research and I was asking people, what's your hope for 2024 and then for your life? And some people said, my, my treasure or my hope was literally money. Like if I could get more money, that's what I need to succeed. That's what I need to have the good life. Other people said uh, that it was a change of circumstances. That if I could just get that new job, if I could just find that right person, if I could just find that right living situation, if I could just get to the other side of the fence, that's where the grass is going to be greener for me. Some people said that there was a relationship with God. Some people said physical or mental health, vacation time, less time online. A lot of people said a lot of different things. And in fact, a study done by CBS this past month showed that 64% of people under 30, so a lot of this room, that they polled, said that they were hopeful for something this year. And I love that, right? There's hope. There's optimism. I, I genuinely tend to be an optimistic person. And so when I hear that people are hopeful, that brings a smile to my face. But here's the deal. It's not enough just to have hope. You have to have the right hope. And we might hear that, and especially with uh, the subjectiveness of today's culture, we might hear that and think, man, I think we should just let people be happy with what they're happy with. Like, I think we should just live and let live and allow people to do what they want. And so the claim that we need to have a right hope might sound narrow-minded, it might sound a little bold, 
but it actually comes from Jesus himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this, Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying here, if your treasure or your hope is in something on this earth, then it's not safe. It can be stolen. It can be eaten. It can be destroyed. And then he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I used to think this meant, okay, I know I'm supposed to love God. I know that's the right thing to do. And so what I need to do is just remove any love of any other treasure from my heart. I just need to make myself love God more. I need to stop loving money more or stop loving comfort or whatever that thing is. And there's some truth to that. But what I've learned is that what Jesus is really saying is that if your heart and your treasure are linked and your treasure is on this earth, then your heart is not safe. Your heart is liable to be stolen, rusted, broken, and destroyed. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, the source of your hope determines the safety of your heart. So here's the deal, y'all. If your hope is in your job, what happens to your heart when you're passed over for that promotion? What happens when there's budget cuts and you lose your job? Your heart's not safe. If your hope is in a change of circumstances, whether it's a new relationship or job or living situation, what happens to your heart when nothing changes? Or worse, what happens to your heart when you find the change and things end up worse than they were before? If our heart is in financial well-being, what happens when the economy goes down? What happens when unexpected costs come up? If our hope is in our physical or mental health, what happens when that takes a turn for the worse? Our heart is not safe. And we feel that our enjoyment of life begins to be stolen. And life feels like it's rusting over. And your heart ends up broken and you are left to pick up the, pe- pick up the pieces And Jesus is saying, I never wanted that for you. He's saying, I came that you could have fullness of life, fullness of joy, true lasting joy that is not shaken by the changes of this life. Why? Because it's not based on this earth. It's stored up and hidden with God in heaven, which just means it's safe. In heaven, There is no sadness. In heaven, there is no theft. In heaven, there is no rust. It's eternal. It lasts forever. There's no death there. And in fact, this hope isn't in just the place of heaven. The hope is in a person who's in heaven, and that person is Jesus Christ. Think about this. If your joy is linked to the fact that Jesus loves you and is with you, then your joy is will never be shaken because God's love for you will never be shaken. If your hope is in Jesus, your heart is safe because he's eternally good. If your treasure is Jesus, you're going to experience a rich and satisfying life because he is rich in glory and love and life. If you're wondering, what does it look like? What does that treasure even mean? I can't 
fathom or I can't conceptualize of heavenly treasure. What it looks like a lot of times is just a deep appreciation for God. That it shapes our mood, it shapes our thoughts, our words, our actions, our dreams. It's being able to appreciate the good things in this world as gifts from God without trusting them as our source of happiness. It's the rich, rich connections and friendship that are only found within the followers of Jesus. That depth that you only get when you have everything in common that only comes through Christ. And you might be here tonight and you're a little unsure or skeptical of faith or the Bible or Jesus. And you're thinking, man, I don't even know if I accept that, that heaven, that that version of heaven is real or that Jesus is who he says that he is. And I will just encourage you, go and study the historicity of Jesus' death and resurrection. I mean, there is overwhelming evidence that Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth. And then there are eyewitnesses who testified that Jesus rose from the dead. Most of them were violently persecuted for saying so. In case uh, you're not aware of this, I was not until I searched on Google yesterday. Uh, in common law court, you need two witnesses to prove a fact. Jesus had 500 eyewitnesses. 250 times what we would recognize as a reliable source. And so that means if Jesus really did live, and if Jesus really did die, and if Jesus really did come back to life, then we should pay attention to what he says. Then we should try to learn more of his claims on our lives. And suddenly our hope is not an idea or this idea or theology of a person. Our hope is in a real living person who is God himself, who actually walked, who actually died, and who actually rose again and is actually in heaven right now as we speak. Our hope is in a person, and that's worth some serious consideration. Because again, the source of our hope determines the safety of our heart. And Paul, he's looking and he's thanking God that the Colossians have this hope. But the question is, like, Paul has never met the Colossians. How does he know? How does he know that they have this hope? How is he so confident that it's stored up in heaven for them? In verse 4, he says this. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the evidence for their hope, their source of joy, was that their faith was in Jesus, their love was for the church, and they were willing to be public about it. They were telling people Paul had heard about their faith, they had placed their faith in Jesus, and they were loving the church. Verse 6 through 8 continues this. It says, Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. What he's saying is that the gospel, it's spreading throughout the entire world. It's spreading through Colossae. It's clear that what you guys go, have going on there is something special, something driven by God himself. And that's why I'm confident that y'all have hope in heaven. They're living the full life. Because the Colossians are saying, man, our faith is in Jesus. We're committed to loving each other. And we are telling other people about our hope, just like we learned it from our guy Epaphras. They're living the full life. And I think we can look at this and be like, okay, but what does that look like practically? That's great for heaven. Like, that's great that I can have confidence uh, after I die. But what does that mean for the day-to-day-to-day? -to -day -to -day? 
And the great thing is that Paul is actually going to explain that, what is needed for life today if our hope is in heaven. He's going to continue in verse 9, and he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul, he hears about the Colossians, and he's pleading with God that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Which, to put it simply, God's will here refers to God's desire to bless and do good to humanity through Jesus. It's just the good news of the gospel. That's what Paul's praying for. So God's will equals the gospel equals God's plan to bless humanity through Jesus. And that word knowledge, it's epinosis, and it's this idea of experiential learning. And so Paul is praying that they would learn in their heart, in their core to their being, they would understand that God loves them, that God has a plan to bless them, that God has a will for their life. And Paul wants them to get this deeply, and here's the reason. In verse 10, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And see, God wants us, and specifically, he's talking to followers of Jesus here. So if you're here tonight and you were a follower of Jesus, this is to you. He's saying to have a heart full of the gospel because he knows it'll change the way that we live. He wants us, wants us to have a life that is fully pleasing to him. And now I've been a follower of Jesus long enough that I've heard this, and my guess is that when you hear you need to please God, your mind is likely to go to one of two ditches. Either you're going to hear that and you're going to think, oh yeah, please God. That's right. I just need to like kind of thumb my way through the Bible. I just need to do what's in this book, check off a few boxes, and that's what makes God happy. God is made happy by just doing whatever this book says, just like a checklist. And we'll get to that. But my guess is that a lot of us In talking to many people in this room, a lot of people think, whoa, 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 slow down there, Nick. Man, I can't earn God's love. I can't do anything to make God love me more. So surely God does not expect me to actually please him, right? Surely I cannot bring God joy. And I think the temptation for us as Christians is to think, how could I be responsible to please God? Man, he's God. I'm just some guy in Kansas. And so I don't really know why he wants me to please him. Don't put that burden on me. And personally, I'm tempted to feel this. I look at God's command sometimes, his genuine expectation of followers of Jesus. And I look at these and I think, man, is that really going to bring me fullness of life? Is that really going to bring me the joy that I want? Because if I'm honest with myself, I want to do what I want to do. right? If we're honest with ourselves, it's like, man, following the Bible is uncomfortable sometimes. And is being uncomfortable really going to bring me fullness of life? Quick illustration. Uh, a couple nights ago, my wife Madison and I, we were sitting on the couch watching Shark Tank. That's our show right now. There's this channel that I'm pretty confident exclusively plays Shark Tank on YouTube TV. Uh, we're watching Shark Tank. Dinner's in the oven. I'm all comfortable. I've got my wife next to me. We've got this blanket. It's warm. And suddenly I hear the timer go off. And my first thought is, Madison should go get that. In fact, I actually turned and looked at her and asked, hey, are you going to go get that? Which is not the right thing to say. She was gracious with me, though. Because as soon as I said it, 
the Holy Spirit prompted me in my heart and reminded me, Nick, you are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You are her husband, not to ask her to go get dinner for you, but to go and serve her and love her. And I knew that I had to act. I was like, man, I got to get going. But as I went to stand up, my legs felt heavy. I'd been to the gym that day. The, the blanket was so warm. I was sitting next to my wife. Mark Cuban was making a great pitch. But I got myself up and I ran over to the kitchen and I, I pulled out the food and did whatever it was I was supposed to do. And when I came back into the living room and I looked at my wife's face and I saw the gratitude and joy that was so clearly displayed, it was so worth it. I was filled with this joy that comes from serving the person that I love more than any other person in the entire world. And it was so much deeper and so much more longer lasting than a couple more minutes on the couch. And in the same way, when we choose to obey and please God, it not only brings him joy, but it brings us joy too. When we get to love and serve the God who is so important to us, we are filled with the fullness of joy that God promises. And we'll talk more about what this looks like practically in the coming weeks. But some of these commands, they just look like practicing gratitude to God. Thanking God for the gift of his blessings in our lives. Speaking encouraging things to other people. Living in unity within your local church. Serving people in simple ways. And these commands, they're designed to bring life. Check out what Jesus himself says in John 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, don't miss this, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus' commands are brought to fill our hearts with his love and fill our lives with all joy. Point number two, if you're taking notes, a heart full of the gospel leads to a fully pleasing life. A fully pleasing life to God and a fully pleasing life to us. Man, and we need to know that our lives can please God. But we also need to know what pleases God. Because a lot of times if we're not careful, we look at God and we think, man, he just wants something from me. He just wants me to work a little bit harder. He just wants me to go out and, and try to do the right thing more. But in reality, God wants something for you much more than he wants something from you. God doesn't need anything from any of us. He can do everything he wants to by himself. He wants something for us. And so what Paul says in Colossians 1.10, a fully pleasing life, he says right there, it's bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And if we're asking ourselves, okay, what is that fruit? The fruit that pleases God is the fruit of the Spirit. It's just more love. It's peace, it's joy, it's self-control, it's faithfulness, it's goodness. Man, those things sound good. And that's what pleases God. Like when God looks down at your life and he sees you loving and having more love in your life and he sees you having peace and he sees you having joy, that's what makes him happy because he's a good father. When God looks at, down at your life and he sees goodness and he sees you loving other people, that makes God happy. And that's also really good for us. I mean, who doesn't want more joy in their life? Who doesn't want more peace in their life? Who doesn't want more self-control or more goodness or more love? 
And then he says that he wants us to increase in the knowledge of God. I mean, he just wants us to know him. He wants us to improve in our relationship with him. Not to learn a bunch of facts about him, but to grow in our experience and our connection and our friendship with him. He just wants to have a relationship with us and he just wants us to live according to his word. Because he knows that's where life is. And so when we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, and our hearts are full of the gospel, again, this is for the believer right here. We want to love people more, and we want to love God more, and that makes God happy, and that makes us joyful. And it's because our hearts are full of the gospel, full of gratitude for what God has done for us. And God's clear, this fully pleasing life, it's not necessarily easy, but it is possible But there's challenges. Verse 11 continues and says, Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Which means if endurance and patience are going to be needed, then there's going to be challenges. I mean, you don't have endurance and patience when something is a walk in the park. You don't need that when life's going to be a breeze. So God's saying there are going to be hardships. Life with or without Christ is hard. I don't really have to tell you guys that. We all know that. And Paul is saying, you are strengthened with all power. Not our power, but God's. For all endurance and patience with joy. We live out of that full spiritual treasure. The strength of God's love for us. And we use that to empower us to go and love God. To go and live out his commands. To serve others when we don't want to. To go public with our faith. To seek and know God deeper. Honesty hour here. Who's ever had an empty bank account? I already said that I did. A couple times actually. I emptied my bank account. Uh, It's a really bummer. You can't do anything. When your friends want to go to Taco Bell, you can't go to Taco Bell with them. Unless they uh, help you out. And honestly, it's defeating. Right? It causes anxiety. It's concerning. Because then when the cost of life comes... You have nothing to use in your bank account. And so I can imagine my bank account being empty. I'm sure we can all imagine our bank account being zero. But what I cannot imagine is having an unlimited or full bank account. Why? Because the numbers just keep going up. right? I I don't know if there's a thing like a full bank account. I don't think that there's a limit to how much money you can put in. Because if you make a million dollars, you can always make a billion dollars. And if you make a billion dollars, you can always make a trillion dollars. And if you make a trillion dollars, you can make a quadrillion dollars. And you could just keep making more and more and more money. And just imagine living with that kind of money. I mean, the costs of life are still going to come, right? Your car's still going to break down. You're still going to pay rent or a mortgage. You're still going to have health issues come up. You're still going to have the costs of life. But you are just going to swipe the card as much as you can because you've got an endless source of money. And Jesus is saying, I want to give you that. Not the money that's going to one day pass away, but the spiritual riches of understanding God's character and God's love for you. The spiritual strength to go out and live for him. Because when you're rich in God's economy and the cost of loving other people comes, it's easy to keep swiping. Because you know that you're safe. You know that you're covered. You're always going to have the strength to go through any trial because you're always going to be full. And that's what Paul is saying. You will have God's strength with you. And it doesn't come from you. It comes from God. 
And in this world, you might not have the biggest bank account. You might not have the biggest house, whatever it is you want the biggest of. But you know for eternity that you have everything you need because you have Jesus Christ. And we are called to live a life that's worthy of that gift. We're called to live a life that's worthy of that monumental purchase that Jesus made for us. Which brings up the most critical question, what if I'm not worthy? You might be here thinking, Nick, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Friend invited me, I'm just here, I'm learning more about this. And I don't know if you understand this, but God does not want me. If God knew what I've done, he wouldn't want me to live for him. He wouldn't want me to please him. Or maybe you're a Christian and you know that you've not been living a life that's pleasing to God. You've been disobedient to the commands of Christ. For either case, you've put your source of hope in this world again and your heart feels broken. And you have an empty life. And you've chosen yourself far too often and you don't feel worthy of God. Because of the source of your hope is on this earth. And already at 20 years, 25 years, 30, 35 years old, you have felt the brokenness and rust and destruction of sin in your life. And I've talked with enough young adults to know this. Man, just welcome to the club. Because that's all of us. In fact, the Bible even says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And none of us are worthy. All of us have fallen short of this glorious gift. And we don't deserve the hope or the treasure or the full life that God promises. But if you're here tonight and you're feeling that, we're going to end with some really good news. Paul is going to continue in Colossians verse 12 as the band comes out. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Listen to that. It is God who qualifies you to share in the inheritance. That doesn't mean I have to qualify myself. I don't have to get a certain record in a race to qualify myself. I don't have to do enough things to qualify myself. I don't have to love enough people to qualify myself. But it is God in the richness of his love who says, you're welcome to share in the treasures of my kingdom just because of my love for you. And it's not us checking off a list to please God, but it's God who first saved us. Verse 13 continues, says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It says that God saw us in the domain of darkness, and he saw that without him we are doomed and we're broken and we're destined for death and destruction. And he loved us and he made a way for us to have a hope in heaven. To forgive and literally wipe clean our sins. To be able to live a life that is fully pleasing to God. Point number three, if you're taking notes tonight, a fully pleasing life is possible through God's free gift of forgiveness. And can I just tell you guys, everything on this earth you will have to work for. But God has given you the treasure of a relationship with him for free. He offers you a clean slate. He offers you a fully pleasing of life, free of charge to you. And make no mistake, it had a cost. But Jesus paid that cost on the cross. Jesus paid that cost of our sin with his blood. Jesus paid that cost of our death with his body. 
to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the thief and the, the rust and the moth, and into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. First and foremost, y'all, you need to know you are that treasure in the field. You are the treasure that Jesus went and he found buried in the dirt, covered in the mud of our sin and our death. And he gave everything, his very life, to purchase us. You don't buy your way into heaven. You don't sell everything and earn your way into heaven. Jesus earns that for us. But at the same time, if Jesus has done that, if he has made us his treasure, if he has rescued us, and I've said, Jesus, you're my treasure, you're my prize, you're my hope, then I'm naturally going to look at everything else in the world and go to that same field and say, I'm going to sell everything to buy Christ. Not because I earn it, not because it makes me love him more, but because I want to. The Apostle Paul says that he considered everything a loss. Everything is trash compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. Man, do we have that same heart tonight? Is there anything else in the world that's vying for our attention, that's vying for our love? Or do we count everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus? And so the questions I leave with you guys tonight which kingdom are you in? Are you storing up your treasure here on earth in the domain of darkness? Or are you living that fully pleasing life that God offers for free with his power, with his spiritual riches in the kingdom of heaven? Which kingdom are you in and where is the source of your hope? In the following weeks, we're going to talk more about what that looks like practically. But I would encourage you guys tonight, choose God's kingdom. Choose life, choose joy. If you haven't made that decision tonight, now is the day to make it. In a moment, we're going to pray, and then the band's going to lead us in a song called Nothing Else. And what that song is talking about is that there's nothing else we desire besides Christ. There's nothing that compares to the riches in Christ. And I would encourage you guys, don't just sing the words, but examine your hearts if it's true. Examine your hearts and ask yourself, what kingdom am I in? Where is the source of my hope? Where is the source of my treasure? Where is the safety of my heart? And then let's go out and let's live a life that's fully pleasing to him. Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask you, God, that you would come and help us just to see you for who you are. God, help us to see you for your goodness. God, help us to see you for your great love for us. God, we don't, we don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. God, I, I just pray, God, that it, for all of us, God, who've experienced our hearts being broken into, our hearts being rusted, the, the moth stealing, the moth killing, the moth destroying, God, would we realize that there is a safety for our hearts that's found only in you? God, and then would we, who are followers of Jesus, go out and live a life that's fully pleasing to you? God, we need your strength for this. God, we know that there's going to be challenges, but God, I pray that this year, 2024, God, would be a year that we as young adults here at the Block KC, that we as young adults would go out and would live for you. God, with all the confidence that comes with knowing that we can please you, with all the confidence that comes from knowing that you love us, 
with all the confidence that comes from knowing that all of this is possible for your free gift of forgiveness. God, for the person in this room tonight who hasn't made that decision, I just, I pray that you would help them see that they are in the domain of darkness. And God, that there's not life there. There's no hope there. And whatever glimmer they might see, it definitely won't last. But help them to know that there's a gift from you waiting for them, and all they have to do is repent and believe. God, would you impress that upon their hearts right now? And God, would, would all of us see more and more this year the surpassing greatness of the treasure that's found only in your love for us as we go and walk with you? Father, we sing to you and honor you in this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.